Hello. You're listening to What the fuck do we know? On Twitter recently, I saw a post that some guy had uploaded on Twitter. <laughs> I think it's not X. Twitter anymore. Yes, it's X. But you know, I don't think for the next. 40 years anyone is going to call it x but anyway on x some guy uploaded a photo and i've had this conversation with a uh, a client of mine who i would call a friend now i say that cautiously professional i say that cautiously because i don't know if she would call me a friend because when one of our first sessions together i asked her about something and I, i don't remember exactly what i asked her about and she said no offense, but I don't really care what you think about mm. me. <laughs> so, That's why you guys friendly. No, but that was like a year ago. And in that moment, and I've told her, I've talked about it with her, I got a little bit intimidated. And uh, she's a very nice, lovely person. But like first moments, she's quite intimidating as a, as a figure. But when you talk to her, you realize she's this amazingly soft. That's cool. She person. established boundaries. She... Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I totally understand it. And it was, it was fair. I wasn't offended or anything. But I'm just saying that that's why I'm cautious about saying friend now because I don't know if we are. But I've talked about it with her. But anyway, so I saw this post and this guy who had been going through chemo, it just it didn't work. And he made a post talking about how he has decided not to go through chemo again. And he has decided to stop all treatments and just kind of like live until the end. And in the post, he made a comment as like to, he, he alluded to not being sad about it, but having, having accepted it and having been ready to die. And I of course, feel bad for him. And, but I read that post and I thought, is it possible? Is it possible that anybody actually comes to the position or comes to the point in life where they are ready to die? Not ready to die, but they are okay with dying. I don't know if, if that makes sense because I've accepted that I will die one day, but it doesn't Have mean you? that I'm okay. I, I've accepted I'm not going to try to change it. I've accepted that. Yeah, exactly. And I've accepted that fact that I'm going to die and I cannot do anything about it. But that doesn't mean I'm okay with it. It doesn't mean that it's something that I don't think of as a tragedy. It's going to happen. I can't change it, but it is not something that I'm just okay with. You know, I don't think that it's possible for anybody to really be okay with the idea that they're going to just stop existing, you know? Okay, people, a lot of people commit suicide and this is them basically saying with action that they are okay with dying. It's them feeling that whatever else is better than living. That's necessarily saying that they're okay with dying. Okay, but... Let's uh, not get into it. Yes, let's now, not go but there. But still, I, I don't think that that is the statement if someone <laughs> kills themselves. I don't think they're saying they're okay with dying. But whatever is happening while living is so hard and it's too much, and they just, need a, they just need an out. And dying is the opposite of living. I would agree that in most cases, people accept it in the way you described, in the way that you just don't have any other choice, and you just reconcile with it. But I do think it's possible to get to the point where you really don't care about it. 
Yeah, but really don't care is not the same thing as being just I don't know, being okay with it. Is it the same thing? I think it's it's the same. I mean, I don't think it's possible. Okay, when you say that you prefer to die, that that can only happen when you really don't like living. Well, no. So being okay with uh, dying is if I said to a person like, "Okay, you're going to die today." And they would go, "Okay." Okay. And that sounds like you don't care if you die. Yeah, but I I and I think that that is not something that is real. I, I think, think we can pretend, possible. but I don't think it's real. I think it's possible to get into this state. I'm not sure. I'm much more skeptical about whether it's possible to maintain it for a prolonged period of time. So I personally, I think that sometimes I do get into that state, especially in the mornings. I really hate mornings, but I really wake up and like, I really don't give a shit. Something's happening. I'm having a meeting. I need to, like, some kind of responsibilities. I don't have much responsibilities, but let's pretend I do. And I really think, I don't care. I can just close my eyes and keep sleeping. And I honestly think that sometimes it, it just feels like I'm ready to die right here, right now. And I, think I wouldn't that, care. I think that's because in that moment, you don't totally consider the magnitude of death because you just said now keep sleeping and yes technically that is what you would do if you were if you died in your sleep but it's not just you know you cease to exist and you don't know about it by the way yeah is one of the, that's that that's, is that's a big part of why it's not a bug as a feature people, <laughs> it's no, no, better it's, it's, yeah, no no exactly it's a feature of it but that's a big reason why i just think it's difficult to say okay i'm okay with it because you literally none of us know how it feels to be dead I think that it's fair to say that most likely, at least as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't feel like anything. And that's what most people kind of get know, wrong though. about it. No, we, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there is no afterlife. Okay, the probability of afterlife is Pretty so low. low based on the evidence we have okay. that it is negligible. And so I don't even take it, in, it into consideration. And that's it. See, I don't, I'm not even talking about afterlife. Of course, I feel, when you're dead, there's the absence of feeling. But we don't know what it is to not feel. As human well, beings, we don't know what it feels like. Let, let me learn. Uh, we don't know what it feels like to not feel. And it, it, why I say this is a huge part of why I don't think people accept it is because what is the scariest thing, usually, is the unknown. People are usually scared of what they don't know. And death is one of the most unfamiliar familiar things to us we all know that it's gonna happen someday we all we see it happen all the time but we don't fucking know what it is really and so it's just like because we will never like have an ability to say what it is like to not feel and not exist because we cannot feel not feeling and not existing it makes it compounds this fear that comes with death and even if I'm not necessarily afraid of it, as it doesn't, like, the thought of, my, of me dying doesn't keep me up at night or something. But I don't think that I'll ever come to the point in my life where someone say you're about to die and I won't, and I won't fight for my life. I think that's, I'm not sure if, you're, if we are on the same page, but, like, when you ask a question, how does it feel to be dead? I feel like this is the wrong question because it doesn't feel like anything. It's not feeling. It's not like anything. It's like a rock. You don't say that a rock feels 
like being a rock. No, but you can ask a question. How does a rock feel being a rock? You'll never get an answer because we cannot, we cannot say that the rock as far has as, feeling. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't have consciousness, so sure. it doesn't have any qualia of existence. Sure. Oh, have you watched Everything Everywhere All at Once? Yes. There were two rocks that Yeah, oh, I love that. I love that scene. Oh, my God. I also love the movie. Also, I mean, it's a part of our description. What? It's a part of our podcast description. Oh, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, and I came up with it. Uh, actually, I don't like, this is, came up I don't like with it, it, by the way. We yeah. might have to change it. No. What, and then you say it in the podcast <laughs> in comments. Well, now you know. <laughs> I, no, I like it. We're, we're, staying, we're keeping it. Go on. Oh, you say, oh, The Rock. No. Yeah, The Rock, it doesn't have quality. I mean, there is this, I, I guess, philosophical movement, panpsychism, which basically says that everything even on the atomic level, have some element of consciousness. But honestly, I, I, I don't agree with this. It's it just the thing that we call consciousness, it's clearly very different from whatever you can call consciousness for an atom or an, a rock. Well, I don't know what kind of consciousness a rock would have, but I understand what you're saying in terms, like in connection to what I said. But my thing is, yes, we don't know. And it's a very strange question to ask as in, what does it feel like to be dead? But basically, my main point there is that the absence of feeling is what we don't know. So meditation, I think, okay, first of all, as a person who reads about meditation more than practices meditation, I'm that kind of person. But I think that this is something that can help you with the acceptance of death because oh. so from what i've read the main thing about meditation is you're basically deconstructing your feelings and deconstructing ego deconstructing your sense of self and i imagine that after you have deconstructed all of these feelings and qualia i imagine that you kind of stop caring about them like these it's not that you stop caring it's just the entire question stops being relevant i have never been in that kind of um, have you achieved it not through meditation but i think i have been in those kind of spaces and i think that the way i actually got to them was through watching movies i think but really long movies you know this is the kind of movies that now maybe even tv shows when you binge watch for eight hours and i feel like that after those like eight hours you just focus on something and you just already don't understand what's happening and then you stand up and then i sometimes i take a walk until like i get transferred into like another space psychologically speaking so i think i've been there a couple of times then it's just it's just you start doubting every piece of your experience you just, you realize, you know, we've talked about this, like, wow, I'm alive. But like, wow, I experience, wow, I see a glass. And it's like, whatever you see, just, you're just surprised and it just feels weird. And like, I don't know how to trigger it. I don't know how to maintain this experience. I would like to, I think that meditation is one of the ways to get into that space. But yeah, I'm lazy. I, I don't. I've been trying meditation a little bit more, uh, just so that I can sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're doing it wrong. 
Why no? My sleep is better. Okay. <laughs> than before. Honestly, it is much better than before. But do you fall asleep during meditation? No, no, no. Okay. Just like I need to like gather my my like somehow center myself because my I don't sleep because like my mind is just on a journey of its own <laughs> and it's mm, that's good. on several journeys of its own at the <laughs> same time so I, I just can't sleep but yeah no no i don't want to stray too far away from the dying thing about like anxiety about uh, uh, over death so i i believe now i've overcome it my first time dealing with like death as a thing i was 11 and i was in boarding school and i remember just being struck by the idea that you, this was the first thing that scared me about death was, and before that I knew people had died, but I don't know why we don't really consider when we're children, like what it really means. But what really struck me at that age of 11 was you have no idea that you're dead. That for me, and that's why I keep saying the absence of feeling because for me, that is the most striking thing about being dead I, is that you just, you're dead and you cease to exist and you have no idea because you cannot have any idea because that consciousness that's that you good. have. No, I know that it helps the person. I don't know that it helps the person. I think that if I knew I was dead, at least I'd be able to think for like millions of years or whatever, or, or, no, or, or hundreds of years until I was totally decayed or whatever or if i have money just freeze myself and just keep on thinking okay that was from when you were a child now does it still is it still a problem now oh no i still think that's the biggest part of the biggest problem with death but it doesn't stress me out as though as when i was a child because when i was a child it literally stopped me like i couldn't function anymore at 11 i remember sitting and i remember the purple skies because we have that sometimes oh where i'm from and I just be staring at it and growing up in a religious place where I was brought up to believe that you did know you mm -hmm. went to heaven that so that's where the read the big problem came out this is dissonance you know as just my mind is telling me look it makes sense that you don't really know that you're dead but I'm being told that you go to heaven and all of that stuff and so of course, my way of coping with that was to stick to the religious part, to stick to like the understanding that you're going to die and then your spirit is going to come out and then there's heaven and all mm -hmm. of that. So you continue to exist somewhere else because it was easier for me than to really face what is, what is a fact, not probably, fact, that you die and that's the end of it and you don't know. I want to cover religion a little bit later, but since we're already here, so do you think that it's still your religious background still influences your attitude towards death now? No, not really. But I think my lack of religion influences my attitude towards death now. Because my lack of religion makes me consider death really as an end. And before, even if I had thought about it and these ideas, you know, came a knocking in my head and then I just kind of pushed them away because I had faith, it was easier to, like, just think life continues in heaven or paradise or god will bring us back at the end you know and we'll leave all together for eternity and never die or whatever that was a like a, a a a haven so to speak when it comes to death but my lack of religion makes me really see death as an end so it 
doesn't I don't have the anxiety that I has as a child because I, I I guess I'm an adult now and I I just have accepted that part. But it is worse. So I think one of the so first of all, when it comes to religion, I've never been religious, but I still at some point I, I had kind of like this revision of my worldview maybe in my early twenties, and I still realized that a lot of it was driven by Christian morality, I want to say. So, and although I'm never, like, my family hasn't been, like, explicitly religious, but I still somehow, was the word, absorbed this, I guess, like, paradigm of thinking. And one of the things with, with specifically Christianity is that you have this idea of destiny and, like, purpose. And I think that even after you accept that there is no God or, like, divine entity, you can still have that feeling at the, at the background, like, yeah, but there should be something, like, you, you still have this but expectation I, I of purpose. I don't think you need to be part of, like, Christianity to have that expectation. I, I, I think a lot of people, even atheists, just kind of, they need purpose. But I think with, with, with religion, it's more common. I think with religion, it's even easier in that situation, because we, if you're a Christian, you kind of have, if you're a strong enough Christian, you, you know your purpose already. Right, but my point was that after, after you stop being religious, that that thing can stay with you. Sure. So do you think that it stayed with you or do you think that you've managed to get rid of it? I don't know. I, I don't think that much of it has stayed with me. I think that I consider things usually now, I consider them without an influence of Christianity at all. I do for some kind of things try to put on my Christian hat and try to analyze them and from that view to just have the perspective of my friends and family that are still mm -hmm. Christians. But personally, this is why, I, you, you know, you've asked me about uh, if, I th if I'm a Christian or not, if I believe in God or not. I don't call myself an atheist. And I've told you why already. Today? No, in the past. So maybe you want to share it? Uh, maybe not. Okay. So I don't call myself an atheist, uh, but... What I would say when people ask me if I'm a Christian or an atheist or whatever is simply that I don't consider God when I do anything. When I make decisions, when I consider my life, I do not consider the existence or the life or the non-existence of God. I don't consider God when I do things. That doesn't mean that I think that there is no way God does exist because I don't think that the lack of proof means it doesn't exist. Okay. But there is more proof for the lack of existence of God. That is why I am not considering God in my life. So the reason I don't call myself an atheist is because I have respect for people around me and I don't want to just say to them that your beliefs are nonsense. No, yes, those are two different mean, things. It doesn't mean that, but for me, that's how my respect translates. It doesn't, I cannot... Okay, one thing you said that, and this is what I would agree on for, for myself personally. This, are, this is just answering the question of why I don't call myself an atheist. I don't call myself an atheist just because if I say out loud I'm an atheist, especially with people that I know who are Christians, it feels like I'm saying to them, your beliefs are shit, and I respect them too much to, this, to want them to think that their beliefs and are shit. And them saying that they're religious doesn't mean that they think that your beliefs are shit. What do you mean? I, that no, them saying that God exists, does it imply it's, it that cover atheistic beliefs are shit? Well, it doesn't cover everybody, it just covers my family. And it's my way of translating my respect. It doesn't mean that it's a fact 
thing. It's just my way of seeing my reflection. Okay, if you're not talking to your family. It's a totally different thing. Then do you call yourself an atheist? No, still, because I always think about my family when I'm talking about atheism. And it's just, it's just personalized. It's just okay. because when I think of my family, I just consider how much their faith has been useful for them. And I don't see any reason in my head to pull that down for them. If you ask me, do I think about God at all? I don't. So I think that you just kind of pulled in two arguments together. The, because the first, at first you talked about saying that the absence of, say basically from what I understood, that the probability of God existing based on the available evidence is so low, it's not non-existent, but it's very low to the extent that it is negligible and you don't take it into consideration during your everyday life. And that's what I fully agree with. And that's why technically I, I would call myself an agnostic. But then if I were to speak to anyone, I would say I'm an atheist because like in the first approximation, I would say, because that gives a much better idea of how I operate. Because agnosticism, it's usually related to someone who's like 50-50, you know, but... I wouldn't label myself. I think that would just be the solution. If someone asked me, are you a Christian or are you an atheist? And I, I'll just, I, I'll say exactly what I said to you. I'm a person who doesn't consider God. Would you say, could you say you're not, uh, I often say non-religious? Well, I'm not religious, but I consider religious not as in like the faith. I consider religious in the practice of the faith because I think I can be a Christian but not like be a religious person. So I can religious believe, as in... I can believe in God's existence but not be a religious person because I believe that when you call yourself a religious person, it means it involves the practicing of the religion. It's not just in the belief mm. of God, of God's existence. So okay. I can be a... It's like being spiritual, you know. As in, the same, in some sense. So I can, I can believe in God as a Christian God, but not be a religious person, which means I just believe in God, but I don't do any of the things that okay. come with believing here in God. Here we have different definitions, but uh, here I actually don't have a problem with it. But coming back to something you were talking about earlier, and we were talking, you were talking about, like, as a child, realizing that you're going to die and, and that bringing anxiety about death. And that's what I, I'm not sure I'm fully on board with because... You're not on board with my feelings that I felt? No, no, no. For child. myself, obviously. <laughs> because especially from the perspective of this absurdism, like realization that there is no ultimate meaning, right, from this existential perspective, like the reaction to, to this realization, my reaction, is, is not anxiety. It's, it's more like confusion. It's just like when you have, I don't know, a math problem. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good example. And you're trying to solve it. You, you think, you're, for some reason, you're sure there is an answer. But you just can't find it. And yeah, you keep fi- looking for it, but you can't find it. It's confusion, but it doesn't bring me anxiety. For a lot of people, confusion does bring anxiety. Okay. I, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't, I don't see the, the causal link. Like, what do you mean? Not the causal link, like, I, it's hard for me to model this uh, psychologically. For yourself? For, obviously, yeah, based yeah. on my experience. But, so if someone said to you that the confusion brings them anxiety, would you say? I don't see how. Well, I think it's fair to say I personally, based on my experience, I, it's hard for me to model 
this experience yeah you could say i don't feel that way but then you accept that that person feels that way. i accept that you don't have to say like you don't have to how can i deny you, well yeah you don't but then the model that experience you don't need to model the experience if someone says but to i you, want to if someone says to you that this is how i feel well confusion causes me anxiety because it, it really does cause can you explain how what like can you, you try to like elaborate to when you're confused what do you feel I think it's it's a feeling on its own, confusion. And what what is the end? You just stay confused. You are confused. You're trying. Usually, you're trying to solve the problem. Okay, and then in this case, you're trying to solve it, trying to solve it, trying and to solve it, and at the end, it, you accept you it. You can solve it. You can solve it. Not everybody accepts things. That's not how life works for most people. Most people, it happens. You can't solve it. You can't solve it. You begin to panic about why you can't solve it. You begin to wonder why you can't solve it. Is it solvable? Is it has anybody ever solved it? Am I the yeah. only person who can't solve it? Is it is it normal that I I'm the only person who cannot solve it? it, it just many things can come from me. Like you never solve it, and you don't accept it. The acceptance is not lit. Like it's not the your this your model that you have created of this pathway to acceptance. Just is not realistic for most people. I don't think so. People don't see an issue that they can't solve and just say, well, yeah. People usually well, fucking, it's not that easy. people freak oh, out. Yeah. Mostly, people freak out about things that they have no control over. They don't just accept it. That's that's you know, life would be so I much. Have, it's not that they just accept it. It takes a, it takes it can take years, yeah, decades. But, but I just feel like the you norm, can get used to it. The norm is definitely not accepting. Okay, maybe I think the norm is is not having this problem in the first place. Have you heard, by the way, about, I think it's terror management theory? No, uh, so it's basically this idea that, that humans, all human behavior is inherently motivated by anxiety related to death. And, I mean, I guess there are like more extreme versions of it, uh, with which I would probably disagree on, because, I mean, obviously, if you, if you are hungry, I, I wouldn't say that we are motivated by the anxiety of death. I would say we are motivated just by hunger. Yeah, but maybe at like a very, very much, much, much lower level, if you look for it, we're motivated because we know if we get hungry and very hungry and very hungry, we could die from hunger. I think that's, that's what some people, the argument some people make. Uh, that's what I fully disagree with because evolution, I just don't think that's how it works. Although, like technically, the, the adaptation that evolution has come up with when it comes to hunger is just hunger. It stops there. You need food. Why do you need food in order to survive and reproduce? Yes, this is the ultimate kind of the outcome that the evolution optimized for. But the adaptation and on psychological level, people only feel hunger. That's it. When I'm afraid of height, when I look down, I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid of height. You're afraid of height because when you are high, you consider that you could fall off and die. No, I don't think about anything. You're talking just about yourself now, right? I think that this is... No. Then okay, if you're, this if example... You're, if you're going to generalize that, then I'm going to 100%. I can agree that there are some things, maybe that people don't make the link very directly to death. But then, come on, when you say something like height... The fear of height is not just the fear of height for no reason. The fear of height is the fear of height because the fear of falling off a high place and dying. I think for people who fear, who actually have a phobia of height, 
for them it's so visceral that it's not rational. It, they don't get to think. They just see that it's high and that they, they are scared of it. So it's not about what they are just like thinking in the moment, right? But if you ask the person, you know, if you sat the person down on a low, low land, in a valley, for example, okay. and the person felt like they were in a controlled space and you said to them, why are you afraid of heights? And they actually, nobody's saying in the moment they're thinking, oh, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. Okay. In the moment you're thinking, shit, I'm high up here. That's it. But if you ask the person to think about it, why are you afraid of heights? It's because they don't want to fucking fall and die. Because they're worried that they could fall and die. It's not just because it's high. I don't think it's a, it's a very strong example. It's not the strongest example. No, but, 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 but I think in most cases, it was as I said. But I can give you a better no, no, example. No, give it to me. So, rotten food. What? Rotten food? Rotten food. Uh-huh. People are disgusted by rotten food. Yes. Ultimately, why did people evolve to, be, to feel disgusted by it? Because... You die from rotten food? Yeah, you have poisoning, right? Yeah. But do people actually psychologically so, feel anxious about rotten food leading to death? No. They feel disgusted because they sense the chemical compounds that are produced by bacteria of, on the surface of rotten food and they feel disgusted naturally. That's it. It doesn't okay. go any further. But I think that you are thinking of people making these thoughts every time they see these dangers. But I don't think that's how people work. If you, ask, if you stop someone, I feel like if you ask someone when there is no rotten food around, why don't you eat rotten food? I don't think the person is going to talk about the bacteria. The person is just going to simply say, I don't want to die. What the fuck is wrong with you? I think that's people but, rationalizing. Yes, but that's the thing is that when people are in the moment, they're not rationalizing. But I don't know this theory or whatever that you mentioned, but if you go to the core of it, of course, our body has, we have evolved to be able to protect ourselves from certain things. But if you ask people why, if you ask people to rationalize a lot of things that they, they, are, they are afraid of doing or they don't do, I think that a lot of them, I'm not going to say all of them because I don't know, a lot of them, if they rationalized it, they will somehow come to, I don't want to die. I agree that if you go to the rationalization level, yes. But that's exactly my point, that the source is not anxiety of death. The source is... So the stops. source is whatever is not rationalized. Why isn't it possible that there is a rational source, but in that moment you, are, you have fear and it makes you irrational, so you don't really think about your rational source but doesn't mean that the rational source is not playing a role in this fear. It is playing a role as, as in you can actually die of, of yeah. poisoning. Yeah. But psychologically, like the root, your root feeling is not death anxiety. That's my point. Your root, the core feeling that you have is disgust. What is core here? Well, the way you feel. So, uh, okay, I'll allow it. So, okay, but, let me maybe... You know. So my, the point I want to make is that the anxiety, death anxiety, is it's, 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 a more, it's a product of analytical thinking, of a higher thinking. That's why animals, like non-human primates, they probably don't have it. I mean, maybe we don't know for sure. But probably they don't have it. And this is, I consider it so... According to this theory, I don't know what this is, some people think 
So, I see this fear of death as basically a byproduct of like other evolutionary adaptations that humans have. It's just what happens when you kind of have this mix of abstract thinking and being good at building causal relationships. And these things were just good in terms of getting better at understanding the reality and manipulating reality. And that's when you try to extrapolate these things and that's what humans do. You, you get to the point when you start asking, okay, you, you have self-awareness and you, you start asking questions, what's, what happens after we die? and why this happens. And uh, that's why non-human primates, for instance, don't have that kind of problem that humans do. And that's why I have a problem with the blanket statement that everything humans do is driven by, by the anxiety. Because for me, it's only, the very, it's only when people get to think about things, that's when they struggle with it. It's not... Usually... Throughout the day, when you get distracted well, we by have things, like you, you don't. Stuff, don't we? we do have subconscious stuff, but I don't think it's it struggles with death. No, but you're saying your statement was the only things only begin to become a struggle when you think about it, right? Yes, and it's very not very rare that people have problems and that they don't understand why. And uh, they go to therapy and they figure out things below the just more obvious level of consciousness that they expect. So it's possible to struggle with something that you're not thinking about so much. Something whose origin you're not thinking about so much, maybe. I don't think there is... So there is an instinct, I don't know, to, to, to feel hungry and to feel bad when you, when you don't have food. The, I don't think there is an instinct... You don't think it's a life-preserving instinct? No, I don't think so. I really? think I don't think so. I don't think there is an evolutionary adaptation for humans to fear death. It's the adaptations are on a much lower level. It's well, you no, fear of heights, fear you death. fear of okay. poison. But well, you don't think that there is an adaptation for humans to want to not die? I don't think so. Hmm. No life-preserving adaptation? Really? So it it is ultimately it's it's easy to confuse it with a life-preserving adaptation. What is the difference? The difference is that it is, first of all, it has much narrower uh, applicability. So let's take food poisoning. We had height. All of those are, I think we are naturally inclined to develop these phobias and many others. All of them are there because they increase our chances to survive. But they are not about fear of death. They're about a fear, fearing th this particular okay. thing. If we have a, an inclination to want to live, right, isn't it possible that that desire to live will somehow translate to a fear of the thing that stops the living? Do we? That implies that we do have a desire to live. Do you think we have a desire? Well, no, to let's live? say we have developed, like, survive by live. I just let's say survive, right? What does survive mean here? As a as a community, as a society, a collective survival as or an individual. individual survival? 
So what does survive mean there? Not dying when you Oh, shouldn't? yeah, physically surviving. Physically surviving. So isn't that living? It is. Okay. So if we have developed, I, I use desire there, but maybe I shouldn't use desire. But if we have developed a, what would you use? Want? A survival instinct? Okay. Okay. I'm not sure where you're going to. So. No, you said that uh, life preserving is not the same thing as a fear of death. Life preserving instinct is not the same thing as fear of death. These phobias, these small phobias, they will help to survive, but not necessarily cause a fear, be linked to a fear of death, right? That's what you said. Yeah. So my question is, the thing that causes you to want to live, isn't it possible that that same thing will cause you to want to not die and then be afraid of the thing that would make you stop living? Theoretically, it's possible, but okay. I don't think that's the so, reality. Really? I think that there, there is this, like, it's kind of like micro-adaptations. Let's, let's do this. Okay, you want to live this year. And there is a, we had a pandemic, right? And some people took it more seriously than others. There's a pandemic. You know that you are immunocompromised in some way. And if you go out, you have a higher chance of getting infected and dying from this disease. Don't you think it's possible that you would develop a fear of going out? I'm not even saying a fear of dying. A fear of going out. I was talking about genetic adaptations. What, what you described this is this is an acquired fear yeah but I'm, I'm not saying it's a genetic adaptation but i'm just saying what i'm asking is like isn't it possible that this develops or you acquire this i as agree a that it can this? develop yes okay. sure but my point was that i was referring specifically to genetic adaptations of course you can develop fear to anything basically especially in the society we live in but the fear of dying my point there was a f- the fear of dying that will be developed by humans who want to survive is not so, uh, what did you say? Can be, yes, so, so because fear of dying can be developed from humans who want to survive, by humans who want to survive, you can draw lines between like phobias and uh, wanting to eat and just all these other things. You can draw a line that connects that to the fear of dying because even if it's not genetic, it can be acquired. It can be acquired, I, and I, but... Any, whatever can be acquired, it's not as universal as things that we are genetically inclined to do. How much, how many people have to have this experience for it to become universal? A universal experience no, all, for you? All people? 99.9% people? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Mo- okay. People having two legs is the what we call it's a universal experience <laughs> i don't think 99.9 percent of people in the world have two, two legs i think 99 percent people have two legs i'm actually curious now i'm gonna google it um so it's not 100 percent, but that's best maturity i'll google it for the next episode it's gonna take too much time <laughs> fact checking before the 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 intro we're yes, gonna have fact I'll, checking i'll correct you before the intro so anyway my point was that the this fear of death it's a product of higher thinking not it's not an instinct i think that we have these smaller adaptations and then they just converge and uh, the result is that we are trying to avoid death but psychologically and that's what i think is important when we talk about our experience i don't think that's the core of our experience and psychologically we start fearing death only 
when we like have time to think about it rationally and when we when we track this entire path of humans and we start extrapolating what's going to happen to us after we die that's when you start experiencing this anxiety but it's not it's not that common that's why it's not that common had it been like instinctive it would have been much more common i think that when people are alone they think about it very often i think that many people consider the like uh what's the word the finite nature of their existence whenever they're alone very often that's why i think do they i really do think so and i think that this anxiety exists and it's more common than you think because people are constantly considering it so is there a way to deal with it what are what are the options i mean you can just accept that it will happen and just accept that you will always have a problem with it <laughs> that's all because you're not going to get... Like, I know that I'm not going to... If there was some way to continue living now that I could afford, I might do it. No, but, freeze your brain. <laughs> that, you don't want to freeze your brain. No. Like, I think that if there was a way to preserve my consciousness, preserve my experience, and just continue and not stop for 100 years and then wake up after 100 years and go, like, oh, where am I? No, but I want to continue. I would do it. But I know that there is no way. So when the time comes, I will die. And I just have to deal with it then. I don't think that I'll be okay with it. But I won't be able to stop it. That's okay. it. So I would call it soft acceptance. Okay. And hard acceptance, that, that's what I described. What I talked about at the beginning of this episode. So we have these two types of acceptance. Probably the healthiest ways. Well, I'm not sure, to be honest. Well, it's probably healthier than avoidance. I don't think it's real, though, because I don't think that anybody has really come to that place. And you say you have in the morning. Occasionally. Uh, yeah, but I just don't think, I don't think it's possible. Personally, it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen, but I just don't think that it's poss possible. I, I, cannot, I cannot imagine how it happens. So. But even that's what I, what I dubbed soft acceptance. Even that is better than avoidance. So I, I see this acceptance the way avoidance you accept. Avoidance is pretending that you're not going to die. Yeah, um, <laughs> like you just distract yourself as much as possible. Well, most, well, okay. I said, when I said about what I said about my own type of acceptance, did I say most people do it? No. I think most people just distract themselves until they die. I didn't, I didn't say anything about most people, but I said that it's better than distraction. So distraction is, in your opinion, the worst way to deal with it? Yes. I think it is the easiest way and it's the way most people deal with it because accepting it in any form requires like really, like actually really, no, I know I said that a lot of people think about it, but thinking about it is different from contemplating it. So accepting it in any form mm. really requires actual contemplation of it. I agree there. And so I think that people think about it. They are maybe, was it immobilized by it? Because they, they, they worry about it, they fear it, but then they decide that the way to deal with it is to just not consider it. There is another way, though, that you're missing. I, I have a third way, too. What? Finding a meaning. Religion. That's one of the subtypes yeah. of finding meaning. Yeah. Religion is, I would say, probably the best way. Because 
You and I didn't say that. I said that one is the worst. And right. by the way, I want to modify my statement. I think that distraction is short term. It's a good option. It's the worst option long term. It's just unsustainable. And religion, I think this is for me. It's in the middle, and not necessarily religion, because I mean there are other ways to find to find this meaning. Even like thinking about like building up legacy and like thinking about this continuity. I know a lot of people want kids for that reason, so I feel like there are more options here. But I don't know. Is it possible, for instance, for someone who went through this realization of this absurdism? Is it possible to kind of bounce back to anything related to? To like religion, not necessarily maybe like Abrahamic religion. When you say went through, do you mean that the person accepted absurdism? Well, they experienced it. It is. It's a scary thing. It it it's 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 annoying. It's not annoying. Sorry, not annoying. It's just it's unsettling. Okay, that's a good word. It's unsettling, and you just decide. Okay, I'm not going to continue on this unsettling, uncomfortable, sad journey of realization and opening up my mind. No, thank you. I'll sit down and go to heaven. Subconsciously. <laughs> That's all happening I'll subconsciously. I'll sit down and go to heaven and just be happy. Definitely. And also going through it and even accepting it, tragedy does something to us as people. Because people accept absurdism. They, they accept the lack of meaning. And then something happens to them. Something so tragic that they need hope is one of the easiest ways to find yourself back in religion it's needing hope it's it's and it works and so they forget everything that has happened before all the realization and everything and they realize they need hope and no matter what i would say about the church there it's such an emotionally charged atmosphere and it is some way to get an answer of hope. It's just to tell someone that God is watching out for you. I, I can see that. Okay, but this is someone who kind of like experienced this absurdism, but someone who kind of like swam in it for a while. Like They'll it, quickly go back. Okay, for you personally, do you think it's possible? That I'll become a practicing Christian again? No. Let's not go as far. You will just start believing in divine power, maybe in some kind of universe, has this destiny or like karma. No, it would take like some really, really big miracle. But I do know that if something tragic happened to me, I would be looking for hope. I don't think that I would find it in God. I think knowing myself, I'd look for hope, and then I just kind of decide that there's no hope. Well, actually, when I mentioned this terror management theory, and they, they, did, they do some studies, and uh, one of the studies that they do is mentioning death in... It's like death, death, death. <laughs> it's, it's a little death. bit more subtle. <laughs> death, death, you're gonna die, you're gonna die, you're gonna die. So, and, you're oh, gonna die. Once they just mentioned it, it's not that they even highlight it. Uh, are, you, are you being literal? Seriously? 
No, mm-hmm. like seriously, they prime in the question. Oh, they, they give some kind of statement to read, you know, with these experiments. Oh, well, I didn't mean, I know you were serious, like they just say death. No, <laughs> obviously no, but it's just mentioned somewhere there. Okay. And, and that tend to have an effect on people such as like Jews sit further from Muslims and the vice versa, such as judges, they tend to give stricter, what is it? When you get released from prison under parole, not not parole, you 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 pay money bail bail right. So they they set bail higher than the control group, and the explanation is that once they are reminded of death, and this is like subconscious because they don't say death death death. It's like it's just one of the words. They the idea is that they are trying subconsciously to find some like ground for their existence and like for for judges this is the rule of law like they someone violated the law they have to pay for it it gives them this sense of continuity and like for for people with religious background of course it's it depends on the background and the environment etc but it gives them this meaning and they're they start gravitating to that meaning and like clinging to that meaning and also really Atheists, they also, I don't remember the specifics of the experiment, but they get a little bit more religious, let's say. Interesting. I think that looking back, and I guess we can end with this, is uh, I do have anxiety about existence. We've talked about it before. I would trade it for anxiety over death. You would trade it? Yes. I'd rather be worried or just anxious about dying than be anxious about... You're worried about both. Oh, I'm, not wor- I, I'm not worried about death. I've accepted that it's going to happen. I, I, don't, I don't think I'm ever going to be fine with it, but I'm just going to have to deal with it. But it doesn't like, you know, keep me up. But existence does keep me up. It's just like, it's just being, you know. It, it doesn't worry me, but it perplexes me, you know. And it gives me anxiety, that, that like confusion. Confusion is a positive feeling. Yeah, anyway. And no, no, it, you know, it's the, I think this will be another episode, but it's just like the coming to terms with the absence of an answer, a confusion that is never resolved. That is the core of my anxiety. But anyway, I would trade it in a heartbeat for anxiety over death, but I just think I'm over death. Yeah. <laughs> You're right.